0: All right, how's it going? Welcome to the Nine Yards Podcast. I know I've been away for a little while, so sorry about that. I've moved basically, um, from one country to another country and been quite busy with work and stuff. Um, so, you know, that whole process has been quite time consuming, the moving part, and also having to work in between. Um, so yeah, I haven't really had time to do the podcast. Uh, but I really want to do another one, so I'm doing one today. And uh, I'm going to be talking about video games. And kind of like this, the state of the video games industry from my perspective uh, compared to what it was like growing up. I'm going to try and be objective because video games have been like the the kind of focus of large part of my life since I was about five years old and I got my first computer, you know. And obviously when I was that age when we are that age, we tend to be more sort of like full of wonder and the, the focus of our entertainment tends to be, you know, we tend to build a kind of idyllic glorified version of that in our minds. You know, our things were so much better when I was a kid, but, you know, obviously, objectively speaking and technically speaking, video games have improved a lot. Certainly since the days of the Commodore 64, when I, when I got my first computer back in the 80s, um, but I want to talk more about how the industry's changed and how game development's changed, uh, my perspective on that. I don't really want to go back as far as the 80s. I'm going to talk more about kind of the industry in the 90s when I really started to get, take games a, a bit more seriously and, and got a bit more interested in games and playing sort of slightly more advanced games, um, role-playing games, stuff like that. I don't want to be completely negative because, you know, I I work in the video games industry. I'm very proud of uh, the work I do and the the people around me, the work they do is fantastic. But I feel, you know, we're a small indie company and the work we do is quite unique. We have quite a unique product and, and uh, it's, it's not really, I I can't really draw any parallels to what we do compared to what everyone else is doing in the industry. But I'm going to talk more about mainstream games, not indie games. Uh, I don't want to give indie devs a, a bad rep. And all that being said, on with the podcast. So I'll focus, I guess, more on on role-playing games, which is, you know, my, I suppose my main hobby or passion or interest, I guess role-playing at its core, I mean, take the word literally playing a role, you know, you're playing a role. So in order to play a role, you need a kind of world to exist in, it comes from like tabletop gaming, Dungeons and Dragons and all, all that, Warhammer and that kind of pen and paper tabletop gaming stuff. Really, basically, all it does is establish a set of rules in which a world can exist. And I guess that's essentially what games are. It's a set of rules and you're thrust into some new world and, you know, you have to play by the rules. Generally speaking, role-playing games are more advanced because the rule set is designed to allow gamers to kind of exist within a, within a world that's created by the developer or you know, in the case of tabletop gaming by the games master, so the rule set has to be very broad in scope, and has to allow for uh, you know a lot of different systems and mechanics to exist uh, for the for the game to be fun and engaging, and also to uh, allow a lot of room for creativity and you know d- different possible outcomes, different choices to to create desired outcomes, and you know possible pitfalls trade-offs when it comes to you know advancement you know if you're starting out as a warrior or as a mage within a world you want to be able to progress and you have to be able to do that in a way that makes sense and that you know doesn't make you godly too quickly and you know there's all these kind of like uh, needs that have to be fulfilled uh, to make a game engaging and fun uh, but it has to be broad enough in scope and not you know, has to be broad enough in scope and not so narrow where you don't have any creativity. You know, so the rule sets for RPGs have to be very clever. And I want to talk about that at first. So going back to like when I was a teenager, late nineties, early two thousands, when I was, when I first really got into playing role-playing games, the first role-playing games I played were like, uh, Baldur's Gate, Planescape Torment, uh, Morrowind, uh, Final Fantasy 7, the original Fallout game. Um, and those games for me were a real attempt to kind of, you know, they were an attempt by the developers to create a world and just to sort of thrust you into that world, give you choices, give you freedom. And the level of creativity and innovation was like absolutely insane at the time, you know, all those games like broke new ground. They really kind of established what potential, uh, computer games really had, for me, in my mind. Uh, I always dreamed, I guess, when I was a kid, you know, playing Commodore 64 and Atari, of games like that. Games that would be like the kind of like a whole world that you could explore and kind of do almost anything you want, and interact with characters in different ways, have different dialogue options, and, and have as much freedom as possible. You know, I think kids naturally are kind of drawn to this idea of an alternate world, uh, especially if the world you live in isn't, you know, that uh, satisfactory in some ways. Those games were so creative and so innovative, and yeah, like I said, really established what was possible, and really kind of made you dream about what would be possible in the future. You know, how much further things could could be pushed. It really sort of inspired this kind of sense in me that as Games progress as technology progressed, games would progress uh, with it, and generally, these worlds would get you know larger and more interactive and more creative, and you'd have more freedom. Sadly, that's not really been the case. Fallout is a really great example, right? Because if you look at the first ever Fallout game and the way your choices worked and how, how many different dialogue options you had and what kind of impact those options would actually have on the game. They were quite meaningful, right? Like you'd have a whole different bunch of options. If you chose one, it would kind of send you down one path that you couldn't necessarily come back from. You couldn't just spam all the different dialogue options and, and you know, it, it would eventually arrive to the, the same outcome. There was actually meaningful choices and, and that really gave you a sense of sort of urgency and and that, you know, your choices matter within this world. That That's personally what I kind of look for in a role-playing game that, that's trying to that's trying to sort of simulate a world, basically. But if you look at the progression of the Fallout games, it's kind of like okay, the graphics have got better, you know, the combat's got better. In so many ways, the, the games have improved like to a, a ridiculous level. If you look at the amount of freedom you have within the world, in a lot of ways, it's also gone backwards too. The design of games has become so uh, streamlined and so standardized. Really a lot of the creativity that those early RPGs and early video games in general had has been sapped out of the industry due to the incredible success of an industry that now dwarfs pretty much any other entertainment industry, right? Well, it does dwarf any other entertainment industry. It's by far the biggest. So in a way games have become a victim of their own success because uh, large developers now really have to meet very strict sets of criteria during the creative process in order to tick the boxes that the executives demand, that the board demands from them, you know? Like we know what sells, so we want what sells. We don't want a creative product that pushes too many boundaries, you know, like, okay, you want better graphics. You want more dynamic combat, better animations, that, that kind of thing. But the actual game world has to be sort of narrow and has to cater for a a player base, which has had this kind of uh, rigid concept of what a game should be. Like game design now has moved away from this idea of kind of impactful choice. There are some games that that do it, you know, like what what was that game called that came out last year? Uh, Detroit being human, you know, but it's basically just like a multi multiple choice movie. There's it's not really a game. It's a Hollywood movie, but I'll, I'll talk about that again. So, yeah, yeah, game design has really become much more narrow because. Due to the success of the industry, standards have been built up very quickly. What works, what doesn't, you know, what sells, what doesn't. What gamers want, in inverted commas, is defined by which games sell the most, right? So systems within games, freedom of choice, that kind of thing has been largely left by the wayside to create these kind of more linear experiences which give the illusion of choice. I think fair enough, like a lot of, you know, younger gamers have grown up with those type of games and just accept that as the, as the reality. If, if they're f- faced with a game that is too complex or, you know, gives them too many choices where they feel like, Oh, if I make this choice now, I'm going to screw up my whole game. That becomes in some way unattractive to them, or at least unattractive to the executives that want to sell that game. So, okay, I'm trying to be more concise with my point here. I guess, so what's attractive to me and I think a lot of people that grow up in that era of games is a sense of freedom. A sense of really being pushed into a world and having and existing within that world's rules but having as much freedom of choice as possible. Okay, there's going to be a lot of rigid stuff that you have to conform to. You can't have absolute freedom, obviously, but just a sense that it that it's not linear, you know, like you should actually be able to make choices, not an illusion of choice. You should actually be able to make choices that really have an impact because it just makes, it's just so much more engaging, you know, being in a world where your choices matter is so much more engaging than being in a world that kind of gives you a sense that you have choices, but really you don't at all. So I think what matters to executives, right, is this kind of Hollywood experience, like what I was saying a minute ago. They want games that are open world, that you can explore, that have great graphics, you know, that look fantastic, that have quite good animations, like a decent combat system, decent progression system. Then they want like engaging characters with engaging dialogue and dialogue choices that lead you down very rigid pathways. And like if there's a quest, you know, for example, you're given a quest to find a thing, typical fetch quest, and you need to talk to a character to get to it. The the only option you ever get in modern RPGs is do it later, do it now. You know, there's no no in between. Do it later, do it now. That's it. Yeah, you might have a whole branching dialogue with the character that, that you get the quest from or that you need to find out the information from. But it all just leads to the same two outcomes. You know, you click all these different options and, or like one of them's highlighted, you know, you can ask them about something or they'll give you a whole load of spiel. But it's just completely pointless. It's just world building. Generally, it's just kind of like some lore stuff, some stuff, you know, but eventually when it comes, the crux of it is do the quest now, do the quest later. That's it. It's not immersive. It's not creative. It's not interesting. Uh, to me personally and I think a lot of people of my generation of my generation uh, feel the same way you know obviously if you're a little bit younger and you grew up with games like that and you never really played those early RPGs especially because I was young when I was playing them you know so the sense of wonder and, and interest was really amplified for me um, you know I, I just I don't get anything like that from, from modern RPGs you know uh, it's just so linear. It's like this Hollywood, like I was saying, it's like a Hollywood experience, right? Yeah, they want fancy cutscenes, fancy graphics, and the idea of actually being in a world, a kind of living, breathing world, is, is just an illusion. And yeah, developers don't really have the freedom to express themselves or to really kind of uh, push games in the direction that they feel they want to go. You know, if you're working for a big AAA company, uh, you, you don't really have much freedom in terms of design. Um, and uh, to, to be fair it's not just the fault of these kind of big companies and executives and boards or whatnot. It's also a it's also a byproduct of th- like the concept of design and where it's gone that uh, because of the rapid rise of video games you know I suppose it's the same with sort of any new industry rules have to be set you know and what works works. So these days you can go to like university and learn game design, right? And they teach you about what works. So games have become so formulaic and the concept of what makes a good game has become so formulaic. It really sort of saps a lot of the creativity out of it because, you know, these days if you're creating an RPG, right? You're kind of modeling it on just all these pre-existing RPGs, right? The ones that have been successful in, in recent years. You're Yeah, you're looking at, like, Bethesda, uh, BioWare, CD Projekt Red. You know, there are some games that kind of push the boundaries a little bit, you know, your Dark Souls, you know, like From Software, with Dark Souls kind of, like, push the action RPG, kind of... You know, there is movement, there are people pushing the boundaries within this, of kind of very narrow idea of what a game should be, but... The kind of level of creativity and level of freedom, which is, I think, really needed and should be at the core of any kind of creative process when it comes to designing games has been lost because it's just become standardized. You know, like a lot of game developers go to universities. How can you go to university to learn a thing that's like less than 30 years old? How can we have so many standards and so many concepts about what makes something good? When we've only been doing it for like 30 years. And during that 30 years, the technology has just like changed so much. Yet, we're kind of told that this is what makes something good, you know, and this is how you design a game. You know, I mean, what is that? This is so, to me, it just seems ridiculous. It's such a ridiculous thing. It's like there is an artistic, creative side of it, especially in terms of, you know, like you can work backwards. You can come up with a grand concept, a grand idea. You know, I want characters to do this, to behave in this way. How do I achieve it? And it kind of goes back to what I was saying about those early games. Maybe it's like, like again, because I was young, but those RPGs I was playing in the late 90s and stuff just kind of inspired me and made me imagine what is possible. I'm sure young kids playing like The Witcher 3 and stuff are... probably have that same sense like wow this is so epic imagine what's possible in the future you know and i hope it does progress and i hope worlds do become like more involved and more open and you know and maybe this is just a kind of uh a sort of teething process you know but i worry that it's not because it's such a huge industry in terms of the amount of money it makes that i just worry it's going to get worse you know it's going to become even more standardised and even more rigid. And okay, every now and again, a new kind of like era defining game breaks through, you know, some kind of group of uh, indie devs or something manage to really push the envelope and and do something completely new in it and it catches fire and, and it reshapes the industry. You know, I'm sure that will happen at s- some point, but I just worry that it's kind of like that largely so many talented artists, so many talented developers in general are being stifled by, by the industry and, and kind of what... and the standard it's set for what games should be like. I, I realise here that I might be sounding like kind of an old man. Uh, and I, I know maybe a lot of younger people, if they listen to me saying this stuff just won't be able to relate because I'm sure if you go back and you play like Baldur's Gate or Planescape Torment, you'll be like, "What the hell is this going on about this game's like shit, you know. This game's total trash, uh, or at least, oh, you know, it's nowhere near as the games, nowhere near as good as the games I've played. And yeah, in in a lot of ga- in a lot of ways, they'd be right. But at the same time, if you just focus on the kind of design elements. You know, not the graphical quality, not the necessarily the quality of uh, gameplay, but but more more the ethos. That was what I found so inspiring, and I think it does hold up. And those games, compared to uh, your modern RPGs, even the best ones, I think in most ways the design of those early RPGs was much more ambitious and much broader in scale, and you know, much broader in scope even though the games like were smaller <laughs> like just the f- sort of level of freedom you have and the impact of your choices and uh the thought that went into the systems uh the you know the magic systems the inventory systems everything every, the sort of thought and design and creativity that went into them was just so amazing you know uh they were like precedent setting perhaps a- again sort of victims of their own success because people just took those concepts and those systems and kind of Emulated them over and over again ad, ad nauseum until uh, we get these very standard streamlined products we have now. And that's a real terrible shame. I think it's a terrible shame. You could definitely say there's a kind of an inevitability about it, I suppose. If you have something new that's like so incredibly successful so fast, inevitably companies are going to succumb to greed. I mean, these large companies are public companies, right? And it's a sort of by-product of any public company that the bottom line is, is money. You know, it's not, it's not about creativity. It's not creating a, about creating a good product. It's about bleeding as much pennies as you can from your potential customers. And uh, that's, that's the way RPGs are going. You know, they've, you know, they've all gone in this direction of being like live as Jim stir as Jim Sterling puts it, live services. I disagree with him on some stuff, but the way he talks about AAA games industry and live services and stuff, I, I, uh, I really appreciate it. I mean, just look at some of the, the bigger developers. You know, look at <laughs> look at Bethesda, for example. They're kind of a good example, right? I mean, look at the first, look at like uh, Morrowind, and look at the first Fallout games, and then. like Fallout 3, Fallout 4, and then, you know, Oblivion, Skyrim. Uh, Now you've got, like, what, Elder Scrolls Online and Fallout 76? Like, are you kidding me, man? Like, (laughs) Jesus Christ. Like, if that isn't a kind of backwards, you know, that's moving backwards. Okay, the technology's moved forward in some ways, but like, oh my God. And they've gone from being one of the most sort of interesting, innovative companies going and creating like amazing products that really like push the boundaries and envelopes of what's possible with with video games to just being like absolute trash, money grabbing bunch of a-holes. You know, it's such a kind of perfect example of the way the game industry has, has gone backwards and not necessarily backwards. Maybe that's the wrong kind of word to use. But it's definitely become so much less creative and so just just about the money which is a real tragedy for something that's if for me personally i consider it to be like it's kind of the ultimate art form like it encompasses everything you know writing art graphics fi- like film i guess brings it all together into this kind of like what could potentially be a whole new universe as as technology progresses right games are Games really are the future. We've got kind of functional virtual reality now. We've got Elon Elon Musk making bloody brain machines. You know, probably by the time I'm an old man, you'll you'll literally have like nerve gear and stuff that you can, where you can literally be fully transported into other worlds. You know, or maybe you won't even need, need nerve gear. You'll just need like a microchip implanted in your brain or something, some kind of machine implanted in your brain, something like that really horrible new Black Mirror episode uh, where where they're playing sort of kind of Mortal Kombat which really sucked actually I was really disappointed at that maybe I can talk about how you know Black Mirror's become a victim of its own success too right so that that was my dog moaning there in the background he doesn't like it when I'm sat around talking to myself he thinks something weird's going on which it probably is to be fair Um, yeah so he's just there like on the sofa wagging his tail like crazy what do you want say hello say hello (laughs) okay you can go now so yeah like um what was i talking about so yeah in a way yeah black mirror has become a victim of its own success too and you can look at so many companies are like that you know especially companies making Uh, Role-playing games. I hope it doesn't you know, I think there are some still some companies doing great work I love CD Projekt Red. I think their their games are fantastic Um, I still don't really like the kind of more linear aspect of it I wish they were a bit more I wish they allowed players a bit more freedom, but I still love the work they're doing I think they they do try and uh, push the envelope as far as possible within that kind of rigid rule set that's being created now and they are very creative people and their artwork's great and they're kind of a little bit rebellious I guess you could say but they're certainly not pushing the envelope as much as I would I would like I want developers to have complete, total, and utter freedom, right? if, if you know, I think in an ideal world it's like, uh, you know, it should be taught like, like art, right? there is no way there's no perfect way. You can't really teach somebody how to be a good artist, right? You can teach somebody how to paint like Monet. You can you can teach somebody how to paint like ex-artists or ex artist, But you can't teach them to be creative. You can't really teach them to use that creative part of their brain and express themselves personally and really create their own type of art. I mean, if you are going to do that, you'd probably you know tell them to go and meditate and just practice painting on their own you know like or take psychedelic drugs or something (laughs) I don't know you know try and unlock that part of their brain if you really wanted to create great artists there's probably like way better ways to do it than going to art school and right now you go to art school you learn about how to sell art how to become an artist from a commercial point of view it's the same with video games, right? You're not taught about creative freedom. You're taught about what the industry expects, you know, and what quote unquote creates a, a good video game. Like what creates a good video game? Well, something people enjoy. right? Like that's gotta be the bottom line, isn't it? Something, a new experience, a new world, something that's fun. Not just like, I've got never-ending copies of the same game. You have to remember that these tropes that we now just consider to be totally normal first-person shooters, role-playing games, fighting games, sports games, right? They've just been built up over over the last 20 or 30 years. It's not like some kind of epic thing that goes back so far. It's just like somebody came along, made a cool game. You know, obviously people were trying to make cool football games forever. And then, like EA came along with FIFA, Konami came along with with Pro Evo, and they were both sort of copying and competing with each other until FIFA sort of pulled out ahead in the modern era with their whole loot box flipping thing, with their Ultimate Team thing. But you know, you have to remember that it's still just—it's like a very—it's just—it's accepted now that that's what a football game is. The control—the control systems, everything. Like if you were going to make a football game now. Like, it would just be a clone, a FIFA clone, right? Because, like, what, I mean, what else are you going to do? Like, that's it now, right? Isn't isn't that, like, think about that. Isn't that crazy? Like, it's only been 30 years. What, nobody's trying to create a new system or a new idea about what a football game could be. Isn't that sort of crazy? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's completely insane. You know, football's just like a sport. It could be done in so many different ways with so many different control schemes. And that's just football, you know, think like, forget trying to create a world with characters and a kind of living, breathing world or whatever, as as they love to say in the games industry, like there shouldn't be any restrictions in that. If you're actually trying to create something new and interesting, you shouldn't be restricted by what's considered to be good game design. Oh, you need to create X scenario. Or if you have X scenario, there needs to be X amount of choices to create X outcome. It's just completely, it's complete madness. As, as the games industry grows and, you know, becomes even bigger, it's becoming even more standardized. And I really hope that at least one developer, <laughs> one young developer, talented young developer hears this podcast and decides to just go their own route, you know. Like, okay, like learn programming, learn artwork, like learn the fundamentals of game design, but go your own road. Don't try and copy what's already there. Don't take what exists as a standard. Just go with it like it's a computer. You can just have an idea and work backwards from there. You can create anything you want. The only limit is the technology and the technology is getting so much better so fast you know okay we might reach some kind of plateau but for now we're, we're not it's just getting better and better and better every year so literally your imagination is the only restriction right okay like the kind of ideas that you know I or my friends and we were having when we were kids and uh, you know the, the kind of wild things that we never thought were possible are possible now so just like free your imagination be creative don't let this kind of idea about what games are or what games should be or uh, forget all of that like it's creativity it's art just be free with it come up with your own ideas and work backwards from there you know okay maybe the technology will need to catch up with you but th- that shouldn't be a problem because it will eventually you know I, Like I can testify to that, it happened during my lifetime. Really, the things I thought were possible when I was young are possible now, and I I thought they were total pipe dreams, you know, like that kind of thing would never be possible. Well, at least in not my life, at least not in my life. But now it is, and more. But but somehow games are like less interesting in so many different ways, because they're all just kind of clones of one another, and that bright spark of creativity that existed within the first kind of uh era of of uh video games you know has has been lost to a large degree and the industry has become a victim of its own success or rather developers have become a victim of, of the industry's success and uh that that somebody Something needs to happen about that, and sadly, I, I don't think it will. I think it will just carry up, carry on in the vein it's going. And like I said, every now and again, some indie dev will come up with some groundbreaking new piece of technology or groundbreaking idea, and and that will shift the game games industry, and everybody will try and copy that idea for a while. But that's the cycle, you know. The cycle isn't like everybody's just like super creative and doing something new and interesting all the time. It's very much like, okay, here's the standard. How can we kind of incrementally improve certain aspects of it whilst going backwards with other aspects? Like there's always this trade-off in the industry of, of, you know, maybe, like I was saying, pushing forward graphical quality and all that, but, you know, reducing choice, making things more rigid and more narrow. Yeah, so that was my little video games rant. Uh yeah, sorry that I haven't put out a podcast in a while, but I am gonna try and get back on it now. Um again, you can check out my website, it's nineyardspod.com. Uh my Twitter is at nineyardspod. also you can email me with any questions or anything at contact at nineyardspod.com. And and yeah, I hope you enjoyed it and I will see you again soon. Okay, latest.